Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In Episode 2 of Season 4, our main topic will be discussing the Canine Shadowstalkers and Signs of the Flame Warbands, and our experience playing with them. We will also discuss our hobby progress, any games we've played, our Circle of Paint Challenge and progress, and go through some listener questions. My name is Josh, and answering the call with me this week is Paven. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good! Spectacular! That's great news, and we had uh, we had some fun game yesterday, so that's always nice to kind of work on a show after that, and we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more of that later. But uh, definitely fun to get some some games in and, and get some hobby work going. Yeah, for sure, good synergy with our uh, playing and our podcasting. Exactly. Uh, no spoilers yet, though. <laughs> Let's just launch into the uh, the Forge of Mithraxis uh, hobby progress. Josh, what have you been working on? been working on the Morrick Hills campaign models. Uh, I did spend some time this weekend to kind of go through and make my lists for each of those three warbands, I guess, just to make sure I had the right models assembled. So looks like I need to put together the main guy on the large creature. The name is escaping me at the moment. And the Nash Tooth? Yes, thank you. The Nash Tooth. And then I, had, I hadn't put them on bases yet because I had started printing some hollow bases that I was going to make into like a swamp theme, but I'm not able to print those quickly enough. So I'm going to just kind of stick them on a regular bases. That way we'll be able to start playing with them. But I just got to assemble the, the, the Lord on the Nash tooth and then get some of those on bases and I'll be set to start that campaign. Nice. Are you like, what have you... Are there, is there any like skew uh, for troops you're leaning towards? Any kind of? Uh, I guess we'll talk about this more in future episodes. But like, what what are you building? How are you uh, tooling your your warband against me? Um, so I essentially I kind of started assembling all the models just because I figured, you know, maybe we'll use them in Warcry or some events later, and uh, then I would at least have the flexibility because uh, you know, particularly it goes up to thirteen hundred points, even though you have to have the three characters in it. But uh, so I have a good mix of everything, uh, you know, the pot grots and the, uh, you know, stab grots, and you got a whole bunch of hobgoblins and you know the the spear guys and the are the what they call the skewer boys. So yeah, good mix of everything. So and of course each component in this particular campaign, you got to take the Lord of the Nash Tooth, the other one's the shaman, and then the other one is the um, the guy, the barfer dude. Oh no, no, he's just a regular um, lord for the lack of the right term here. The killer boss. Killer boss, thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I heard, Josh, tell me if I'm wrong. I heard uh, Pot Grot OP. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard that because I think people have been saying that just because it has an ability where it can heal models. But the kit comes with one Pot Grot. So unless you're on the internet buying a whole bunch or you're converting a whole bunch, you know, you really can't do a whole bunch of spam. So. Okay. 
So uh, I'm not gonna, we're not going to rack up and you've sourced like 10 pot grots. <laughs> nope. I, I wouldn't put one. it past you, Josh, but I'm trying to get you on the record here. Yes. I just have one in each list. There's yeah. one. Okay. <laughs> but we'll find out, I guess, right. how good it may, well, may not be. <laughs> so what's on deck for you? So on deck for me, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But I've got the Darko Savagers that I need to assemble. And so I'm going to work on that uh, this week. That's definitely my, my top tier goal for this week. How about you, man? I know you've been working on a lot of stuff recently. What have you been up to? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I would love to talk about what I've been working on. Uh, first, I was I had been most of the way done with my Thunderstrike war bands for uh, the same uh, mentioned War for Morak Hills campaign. Um, so I finished those up. And so really what that meant was um, getting them all uh, based. So I have my kind of standard, well, not a standard, but a kind of I use uh, the Green Hill stuff like roller bases to like put Elven, it's called the Elven Ruins one. And so I do that for a little bit of it. And then I put dirt on top of it. And then I put tufts on top of that kind of gives it a ruined, uh, well, it's supposed to be like kind of a reclaiming like old wanderer. Uh, location in Gairan because they nice. are the Gairan guard. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to do that. It looks pretty cool. But uh, so I have that done. So that's a Lord Imperitant, a uh, Knight Arcanum, a Knight Vexilor, three Vindicators, Annihilator, a Praetor, and a Griffhound. So that will that will get me through the campaign. I would have liked to have some more Praetors, um, which are the, if you're not familiar, they are the bodyguard unit for the Thunderstrike Brotherhood. Is mm-hmm. Thunderstrike Brotherhood correct? I don't know. Yeah. Thunderstrike yeah. Chamber. Um, they're the bodyguard unit. They have like long uh, halberds. Right. And they're, they got a pretty good profile because they have like three strength, five attacks at a two inch reach. But Josh, and this is your fault, uh, you can <laughs> you cannibalized two of those models in order to make your, I think your one chosen, just, ca- chosen just of one. chaos. Just yeah, one. you like took models from like each of like enough pieces from like two guys that I can only make I only could make one of them. Oh um, no! So you were set. You were sabotaging me before you even knew uh, <laughs> before we were going to be playing. But that's okay. That's okay. I might <laughs> I might try to like source the other. I mean, there's so many people with Dominion boxes floating around the area, so I think I'll be able to like bribe somebody for a couple Praetor models. Uh, not for this campaign, but I think I kind of want to finish off the unit. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. So what's up? What's on deck next? I'm like pretty close to also finishing up uh two more vindicators and two more annihilators just so i've completed those units to make the project feel more done um they paint up pretty quick i think they're god they're, they're so close to being done i think they mostly just need basing and like a few more layers on a few more colors and so, um, by, so those um, guys are pretty well go ahead so when you say by to finish up the squad you mean uh for using an aos yeah, for sorry. Yeah, um, for using like to make them like a legal uh, Age of Sigmar unit. Gotcha. Um, Annihilators get fielded in units of three, so I need two more. And uh, Vindicators, which are uh, the spear and shield guys, get in units of five. So I gotcha. need two more of each to finish up those units, um, and then I can kind of maybe close the book on that project for a little bit. So uh, what else have I been working on? Um, I've been playing like some, which is like a, maybe a game a month of Age of Sigmar Path to Glory and um, with my Iron Jaws. And I had my biggest game yet at 1,500 points uh, versus um, one of a uh, friend of the show, Vint, at the Warhammer store. 
And I didn't have enough Iron Jaws to, to legally get to 1500 points. So I added some Grot allies. And then I like, so because I have a, a Gloomswag Gets army. And so I like picked out like uh, 20 shooters. And they're supposed to be like kind of my chaff. Like push the Grots to the front. They absorb the, the you know, whatever the first Alpha Strike attack. And then like, you know, the, the Iron Jaws come on top, come over the top and like destroy everything. Um, but they, I'd a lot of those models I'd painted a super long time ago, or when I did paint them recently, I like got them out really quick because they're grots. So I wasn't feeling that good about it. So I like repainted 20, 20 grots, not repainted. I like redid all of their cloaks and put checks around their hoods, which really like added a lot of, like a lot more visual in visual interest to those models. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, actually, I only did checks on ten guys, and then I quit because I was like, ah, I don't really care that much. <laughs> it looks nice. Um, but, oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, uh, so so I did that, and then uh, yeah, uh, Games Workshop sent the podcast. I uh, full disclosure, it's I is this a sponsored podcast? I don't know. They sent us a free copy of um, Oh my Red god, Harvest. Red Harvest. Yeah, so I'm just looking around trying to find the name. Um, yeah, so uh, so we got that free copy. That was awesome. Me and Josh split up uh, the two war bands. I took the Tarantulus Brood, and Josh took the Dark Oath, as he mentioned. And I've assembled and I've primed and I've started working on the Tarantulas Blue Brood. Uh, they're very cool models, very dynamic. Boy, a lot of spindly bits. Um, it's very easy to like break stuff off. They give you lots of extras, yeah. which is great. Like a lot of extra weapons, but they're all like long and thin pieces of plastic. Yeah. So a little tough there. Reminds me of the Canine Shadow Stalkers. Very similar. I like, totally hazards. believe it. <laughs> yeah, I totally believe it. Um, so yeah, I'm working on those. I'm trying not to overthink the paint scheme. That usually like really like holds me up, like trying to figure out like figure out like the perfect, uh, you know, right color mix and like color theory. Uh, but I really just want it to like go with the rest of like my signs of the my flame and like my other slaves to darkness models. So mm -hmm. I'm just gonna roughly paint it in that scheme, and I think I'm pretty good. And so I'm just gonna try to actually batch out all ten models at once and see how that goes for me. Um, so right now I'm working on the skin for all ten. Very nice. Yeah, no, I need to. I, I kind of started brainstorming some color schemes in my, my in my head, but uh, I have not. I figure I put them together, then figure out okay, what theme do I want to go with? You know, particular tribal sort of theme, try tattoos, or just you know, kind of get them done and see. But oh yeah, I think tattoos would look so good on uh, like those models with all the skin they have. Right, right. It's just and that's like I can it's... pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh well, well, yeah, I, yeah, I like like a like a bright blue tattoo on a miniature because it really yeah. shows off against uh, the yeah. skin, like a like a black tattoo. Very technically difficult, uh, mm -hmm. but boy, like really hard to like um, get it to show up and read, like you know, three feet away. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I'll, I mean, I'll probably try it on a test model. I have some micron pens that I've used for small patterns and decorations in the past, and if you do a wash over it, it looks like it's painted. Oh. Smart. I might give that a try. Yeah, so smart. Awesome. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know, like uh, for, for schemes, I feel like, I think I like, I only have like one death army, one chaos army and like one, I guess this isn't true, but like one destruction army, but I already have two destruction armies, but mm -hmm. I want them to be in one scheme, I guess per, per grand Alliance. So that I can match and match and use allies as I sure. need. And they can still have the same basing scheme. Um, but I feel like I've really gotten myself into a corner here with the signs of the flame because they have so many distinct elements I've painted in very certain ways. And it doesn't work if you break those elements apart. Like the orange fire is such an important piece to like the composition of the model. Right. That like 
just doing like white and purple and bronze is just like too boring and too bland and too like dark. So like I have to figure out a way of shoehorning like fiery orange into all the models that I paint for Slaves to Darkness from here on out or get bashed them into having fiery bits. Um, both of which are, are not I've struggled with. Yeah, I struggled with that, too, because the Cypher Lords, I wanted to have a very distinct kind of magical desert bases. But, you know, the other chaos factions, I won't necessarily do the same basing scheme. So, it's mm-hmm. yeah, you know, then maybe that's okay. But, you know, if you're doing a full army, obviously, it's yeah. easier if they all look the same. But I think you could definitely go with, um, you know, you could just incorporate some oranges in there. You know, whether it's in the, uh, you know, you can even do like lava cracks in the in the base, you know, make it look like Varanite glow or something too, to make it, you know, kind of have that same orange color. But Oh, maybe. Yeah, right now what I'm doing is I'm just painting all of like the spiders. Like I'm just going to assume like all the spiders they're interacting with are like a fiery orange spider yeah. that maybe feeds on Varanite or just lives near the lava. Right. Um, and I'm getting it that way. And I think that's okay. We'll see yeah. how I feel uh, next, next episode. <laughs> right. Awesome. But uh, in our next category, we're going to talk about a path to glory. And uh, while our, our league isn't ongoing, we did get the opportunity to get our challenge battle in from Season 3. And if you recall from Season 3, we had a warband painting challenge where I took on the Knight Shadow Stalkers and Paven took on the Signs of the Flame. You know, So we thought that would be perfect to get our challenge battle game in and also talk about these two warbands. Paven had a great idea for a scenario, so I'm going to let him describe what we ended up doing. Well, it wasn't really my idea, but it's from <laughs> the Agents of Chaos uh, book, Warcry book, um, and it's one of the challenge battles in there, and it's called Blades to Darkness, and it's particularly set up to be a Chaos Warband versus the Canaanite Shadowstalkers. Um, so that's us, and it's, a, it's an assassination mission where... Um, a, the chaos Lord has grown or chaos warband leader has grown too powerful. And he's taken the, he has fallen under the eye of Marathi and the agents of Marathi and like, like a hit squad of shadow stalkers come, uh, to, 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 to kill the warlord. Um, and so it's like an assassination mission. And, uh, we, the, we did, we put a couple twists on it. So one is that, um, it was kind of originally an above ground regular Warcry game. Well, we wanted to put it in the catacombs. So we put it in the catacombs. We made the game longer. Uh, we switched out um, kind of uh, the some of the twists and like the victory con- or the deployment to make sense in catacombs. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, oh, and uh, well, I guess the coolest part about the scenario is like the special rules. Josh, why don't you explain the se- special rules that like only affect the Shadow Stalkers? Definitely. So the, as Paven said, the really unique thing was for the Canite Shadowstalker player did not put down any models. Instead, they have the three different um, components of their warband, and then for each one, they put down six tokens anywhere on the board, you know, and, and they acted as ghost models, essentially. And the tokens weren't revealed unless the Canite Shadowstalker player revealed them on purpose, or if an enemy model got within six inches of it, or if it if the token was targeted by an attack or an action, so so the on a on a bigger board on a, like on a normal above ground warcry board, you can imagine these tokens moving around and not really knowing okay which one's real, what is you know which is is this a, a model you know what what's he going to put down here, and we had a similar effect in the first you know round of the uh, in even in catacombs. But since it's a lot closer, 
the models, the tokens got revealed more quickly, and it didn't make sense to do it, you know, reveal them for the the reinforcements later. But it was still added a unique element where it added a little bit of question about, okay, well, which models are where? Because you can't see them, and even though that you know where the tokens are, you don't know what's actually there. So it was definitely yeah. fun. And, and yeah, and a couple of times my models ended up t- chasing ghosts. Yeah, like you would send a you'd send a token around behind my position, and I would like send them uh, like a fighter off to like defend that corridor, and then it ended up being nothing but a shadow. Right. Uh, so I thought that was very thematic. Exactly. Distraction. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I played that. We played this with our war bands that we had quested with, but I think I'd play like a ton more games with my uh, scions. Um, so we decided just to do a clean thousand points aside. No destiny, no artifacts, no command points, uh, kind of no mercy, right. match game. Um, yep. And yeah. and to to uh, to add even more to the stakes, um, it, besides me and uh, Josh rivalry game was <laughs> uh, I one. It was a um, it was a challenge battle, so there's always a stake when you play a challenge battle. Or they're supposed to be. Um, so I, you know, I put up one of my territories as a stake. So if I lost, I'd lose a territory. But also on top of that, I thought it would be super lame for to play an assassination mission and have my my leader be assassinated and then be fine. Like, you know, because the leaders can't die in Warcry. So I committed to Josh, if you beat me, if you killed my leader, he would be dead for my campaign. Yeah. Like my my leader, he's been going on for like a year since season since season three. Uh, Krastos Tyrannos, the Flame Father, has been leading my warband to victory to victory, uh, really terrorizing our local community. Definitely. And if you kill them, if you die in the challenge battle, you die in real life. Uh, so was that, was, that was going to be the stakes. It yeah. was a shocking twist. The payment threw in there just before the game. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly was so very how, how narrative. Did it, how did the game go for you? How, like, how, how are you, before we get into like the blow by blow, like, what, were you, what was your strategy for the game? Oh, I should also add, uh, mention like what, what what was the stage? The stage was set. Um, I deployed like uh, like two two of my battle groups like kind of in the middle or close to the middle of the the standard war like catacombs board that comes in the box. Does that, does that board have a name? Um, it's just the forge floor, I think. I think forge floor. That sounds right. Like the forge floor standard map with the lava. Um, so I started on the board in the middle. My um, my leader started like kind of like dead in the center and uh, Josh's two war bands or two, two, two groups of tokens started on each side, like coming in, like across the bridges. Right. And uh, one other thing for the scenario is starting on like two or three. I can't be within a, in a four inch box of the edge or I lose as well. So I was pretty much stuck in the middle of the game, just having to survive your kind of waves of assassins. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was, that was my challenge. Yeah, what? yeah, definitely. You know, okay, I, so sorry, Josh, I cut you off. How are you thinking about how are you thinking about this game? Yeah, so the, the strategy started right in in deployment of the terrain setup because I, I put a casket in the center, hoping Paven would try to group up there and then maybe take some damage to start off with. But he cleverly deployed a little bit further away from the the casket, and he also put the the weapons rack in a little corner area with a closed door to kind of turtle up. So. So I ended up putting the sewer entrance right in the middle of that section towards the the stairs just to allow some reinforcements to get a little bit closer, which becomes important important later in the game. So That's yeah, true. that was that was really interesting. And so my my goal was to try to send some tokens around to see if he would go for the bait. 
And if it didn't, then I could actually put a model there and maybe open a door and get in behind him. Um, but yeah, I was sort of trying to tease out, but with the bridges and the lava there, it was a, it was difficult to do because I had to not hang out on the ridge too long, <laughs> get knocked in the lava, or I would move a model all the way across the bridge and then be within attack range of, of many of your forces. So it was definitely a little cat and mouse in the first turn too. Definitely. So yeah, the, the first turns kind of play out as we expect. You start coming over the bridge. I like try to turtle up in the middle. I uh, One cool thing that happened on the first turn is I sent uh, one of my initiates, kind of the lowest level guys, like onto the bridge to, to like scout you out. And so I was able to scout out like your entire eastern flank right. uh, of Warband. So you had to deploy all those guys. Um, and I also, when she ran up there, she weakened the bridge. So that already like heightened the tension. And then I think I was able to throw a, um, a firebomb uh, on one of your guys. And yeah, like eight yeah. Damage. almost killed him outright. <laughs> yeah, um, or seven damage, like not quite. Yeah, not quite seven eight. out of eight. Um, <laughs> uh, but you responded in kind and took one of your whip guys and just like whipped her right off the bridge. Like she went right into the lava, first kill, first blood. I was like, oof, okay. Because um, uh, science models can be kind of cheap, kind of like expensive. And so if I'm starting to trade models, like that's not good. That's not good for me. Because you also in this scenario, if we just trade models, you'll you'll eventually trade for my leader. Um, so I was already, I was already feeling nervous because I knew, yeah. I also knew like my leader's pretty tough, but like, you just need a few good, like good crits and you can like, he only has 20 wounds. Like that's totally like, you know, Warcry is a very dangerous game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and again, you know, with your models being, you know, high strength, uh, you know, tend, tend to have more wounds than my basic guys. You know, most of them had eight wounds and champs had 12, um, mm-hmm. but you know, low toughness. It was, I was worried because they're more of a glass cannon sort of force. And here I am having to rush into the turtled science, of the flames. <laughs> so so yeah. you had to be fast before the reinforcements yeah. got on. <laughs> and another twist, the twist we use was uh, darkness where you can't see models more than six inches away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made sure you had to like get in at least pretty close in order to see. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that, that also meant like you just, you just like had to run into me. What like let's let's talk about like the next two turns. So the next two turns uh, was pretty much the scrum in the middle. We thought it was going to be. It was like you kind of running guys in, like the front lines kind of getting taken out. I think I have a pretty big advantage here. Like I'm I'm, I'm trading pretty well. Yeah, you're rolling pretty poorly, especially against my trying to put damage on my leader. <laughs> yeah. I think in the first two two turns, uh, you didn't do any damage to my leader, and he yeah. was like taking he was taking guys out whenever somebody would get in range, like. He is quite an attack. Like his, like the blazing Lord has like um, four attacks with a like two, four, two, six damage profile at strength six. So he puts out the damage. He was also near the weapon cache, which is plus one attack. And I think like almost every turn I use the ignited fervor triple, which yep. meant plus one attack and an, uh, a six inch AOE from him. So he was getting plus one attack and everybody else. Um, so like we were, we were really powered up. Yeah. Um, so I was trading pretty good. Um, you were certainly taking pieces off the table. You were like chunking through my front line as well. Like a, your guys would like appear behind my guy, like, cause they were <laughs> super sneaky. Um, and then, and then your Shroud King gets, gets in. And I think this is like kind of where like it's, I started to get real nervous and like, tell me what you did with your Shroud Queen. Yeah. So the f- second turn I had a quad. And I was like, all right, yeah. she's going to get in there. She's got range four, you know, and I can put some damage mm-hmm. on him. And I totally whiffed. It was terrible. <laughs> so, but in turn three, I happened to get a quad six with my wild die. 
And at this point, you know, she was heavily wounded, you know, because she got smacked by the you know, flame father for 14 wounds. So she had six left. And uh, but she's surrounded. There are like five signs of the flame nearby, just a few shadow stalkers nearby. Some of them are further away. And but I was like, oh, wait, I've got this really cool ability I have never used called Ensnaring Darkness. And what it does is it causes damage equal to the value of your dice for the ability to all models within three inches or six inches if you if you wound yourself. And I didn't want to do that. But it ended up causing six damage to five of Paven's models, which was immensely helpful. Didn't really kill anybody, but it did enable her to yeah. take out the immolator. Or, yeah, I think that's his name, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That turn and free her up. So she was able to get a little closer and attack. And she actually managed to put a little bit of damage on Krastos. But, uh, but it really kicked in with, uh, finally, my repeater crossbow got in a whole bunch of great shots. And just it was knocking him down, got him down to one wound. <laughs> so. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, I was sitting pretty, and then the, the six damage to everybody, like un, there's unmitigatable six damage to like five guys, including my leader, and that like took a chunk out of everybody. Your leader killed a, a killed another guy, um, and then I, I think I killed your leader after that. Like yep. we traded. Yep. Um, I think I think maybe Krastos killed like your leader and somebody who had snuck behind him. Um, so he yeah. was like trading a lot. And then your, your crossbow guy just unloaded like through the gap and did another, I don't know, 13 damage out of like, yeah. out of yeah. two, yeah. two like, rounds of double shooting. Yeah. yeah. And which was enough to take him down to one wound. And I was like, oh man, a breeze could knock him down. Um, and then so we, we go into a, a initiative turn, turn for round four. And you had, and I had stuck a guy on your crossbow guy after that. I'd yeah. run a guy, yeah. I'd run my, uh, my brazen champion close. So right. like engage. Um, but you had run a different guy that had come out of the hallway, like double move to go behind Krastos. So he, like another assassin was sneaking up behind him. This was like a super important uh, priority role because I could definitely one shot that guy behind me and um, then I might have a chance to live. Um, but uh, yeah, we rolled, we rolled it out. And then we tied. We had the same number of priority dice, didn't we? Yeah, we had the same initiative. Yeah, and I and I ended up, I threw a wild on there. <laughs> yeah, and well, we we had the same number of priority dice, and then we had to roll off to see who had like you know the 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 advantage, and you won that roll off. Yeah, yeah um, first initiative roll I won, so I was happy. Yeah, that. you won that roll off, and then I was like, oh no! And then you spent your wild die to get an additional, so you I couldn't take it back. Yeah. Um, and then your your final assassin snuck up behind and put a put a an elven blade through Krastos's heart. Exactly. Um, Used to, that umbral spear finally pierced him and put him out of his yeah. misery. Yeah. Oh, it hurt. It hurt. Krastos has <laughs> been with me a long time. I, really, I know. I really I, love the model. I really love the hero. Uh, but he went down. I think he did. He did. He went down valiantly, like you know, singing the praises to the ever raging flame. Oh yeah, taking down a ton of assassins. This is like kind of a Boromir moment, uh, except with a bad guy. I guess Boromir is a great character, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he like took down. He took down two or three uh, or four yep. assassins like that game. He like tanked a ton of damage, yeah. um, and he just got like overwhelmed by trickery and a lot of it from range, which is very. Uh, uh, dishonorable and i mean i think like if we had played it we stopped the game there but if we had played it out i would have wiped your i would have wiped tabled your your guys. yes yes um, oh it, it was it had not looked good for me at all and then that one round where i managed to get a lot of damage through and steal that initiative in that fourth turn 
critical. Yeah, but my yeah, guys that's are all going it takes. fast. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, I did not expect that to turn around like that. It was, it was yeah, like, whoa. Um, but... Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was, uh, yeah, definitely very narrative. It felt like, you know, big battle, assassins coming, something down. It was very cinematic. It was, it was cool. Yeah, so I want to talk about I want to talk about the aftermath from my from my narrative perspective. Um, so I definitely lost the territory, so I crossed off one of my territories. Uh, I'm not going to like restart my warband because I still have like a narrative ongoing with the uh, with my scions, uh, the Children of Flame. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to promote a new uh, one of my heroes to be the new quote unquote uh, Blazing Lord. Uh, so I'm going to like narratively promote my um my brazen champion who's really been my mvp in most games like he yeah. just does a ton of work yeah um so i'm gonna try to kit bash a like a what will look like a promoted brazen champion into a new blazing lord and like count him as my leader and kind of continue on the quest like he is going to take up the mantle where krastos fell um oh my new my new my my new leader is called raxos so not to be confused with krastos uh it, it's it's the name generating table yeah. Um, so, but I'm so I'm going to kit bash and try to make a new blazing lord, and I think that'll be cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it's definitely like extremely narrative. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I already already have some uh, kit bash ideas for how I'm going to do it. It's not going to be too crazy or too cool, but it's supposed to like kind of take elements from the brazen champion right. and like add that to elements of the blazing lord. God, all these names are are very Warhammer. <laughs> All inflammatory names. Here. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a great idea. Good scenario components and twists. It definitely made for a very interesting game. Yeah, yeah. Another another match in the Josh Pavin rivalry. <laughs> this time I came out ahead. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. Pirate victory. Well, I think our next section is Visions of Madness, but. I don't know if we have anything to share. What do you think, David? I don't think there's been any war cry rules since we have Red Harvest. I know everybody's very excited about that release, and we'll definitely cover it in future episodes. But mm-hmm. um, we're not going to talk about it today too much. But I don't even have any teasers for the future. We'll certainly have like speculation about what's coming next, but certainly nothing's come out of uh, Games Workshop. I don't know. Am I missing anything, Josh? Nope. Nope. As, as far as I know, yeah, we we saw a few previews for the War Bands before the box set shipped uh, i have not gotten mine yet so i'm you know i'm waiting to read through the lore and stuff myself yeah so i haven't heard anything else yet about that so just besides there's more coming that's the only thing we've kind of heard but we haven't seen anything so more to come in the future till then keep you guys occupied with the circle of paint challenge obviously we got our season three challenge battle completed which was awesome a lot of fun Thank you, everyone, for voting. We threw some votes up on our Discord and also on Twitter. And the uh, overriding consensus was you would like to see us do another Warband Challenge with the Warbands from Red Harvest. So that is exactly what we're doing. Um, We went ahead and decided to, because Pavin put it up there, he said, I will match whatever you want to say you're going to do, Josh. So uh, we're also going to attempt to paint a monster up. So we'll do a monster and the Warband. And uh, Pavin's already ahead. He's, he's out the gate on full speed. So I, I do need to catch up. Um, you know, and based on that, you know, I do have a monster. I've got a Chimera. So I've got to decide if that's what I'm going to use or if, I, if I'm going to try and find a different uh, chaos monster to use with the Warband. Did you have a monster in mind, Pavin, or is that uh, 
down the road? Oh, um, I don't. I have a couple ideas. I might do an Arachnorok um, Mutileth Vortex Beast uh, Kitbash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like something spider related. I mean, I feel like I have to do something spider related uh, for my <laughs> my spider men's. Right. Makes um, sense. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that maybe I, I like the formaloid crusher. I've been like eyeing that one for a while. So maybe that will be cool to. But that's, a, that's an ally spider. though. Oh, does ally that doesn't count? It can't be. It it it's, it's got the monster keyword in Age of Sigmar. Is that not uh, that doesn't count? Uh, yeah. So you know, because like the mind stealer's fearings is also an ally as, as well as the ogroid Mimberdon. So that's why I mean, wanted to I mean, I, 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 we make the rules, Josh. Uh, <laughs> well, so, if we can include allies, like uh, you know, monstrous allies, I'm good with that too. Actually, okay. I, like think, I think we get, I think each individual host should interpret monster as they feel, and then we'll, then we'll let the listeners decide. Okay. Well, because it does change the fact that, you know, for monsters, you need to do a monster battle to capture it. So that's the difference. So if we're having actual monsters, then we will have to do that quest or that mm. battle, claim it, and then we'll have it in the warband. Uh, but if it's just an ally, then we don't have to do that. So I guess narratively, I guess we can maybe think about that. And we'll decide before the next episode. <laughs> okay, whatever. You're the boss. <laughs> no, it just depends on what we got, what we want to work with. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, we're gonna make time to do the monster battle. See if we're gonna do that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. think about it. maybe an ally is easier. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I wanted to see where my creative juice took me, but uh, yeah, yeah no, you, and you I think that's the best the way to go. Are. That's the best way to go. And we could just make it fit wherever it fits appropriately. That works. Well, that's, uh, you know, so we're off to a good start with the, ch- the Circle of Paint Challenge. Again, we appreciate everybody chipping in and sharing your thoughts on uh, what we do. It's uh, definitely a fun way to kind of go. And Pave and I were both you know, had a variety of ideas as we shared last episode. And, and uh, again, with the war bands, we, we, we liked them both. So uh, we're, we're changing it up here where Pavin is taking the war band that has got the more dynamic play style. And I'm taking the more melee oriented war band. And we'll see how we uh, handle those particular aspects of these. It should be a lot of fun. All right. So our victory condition for this episode is to talk about Canine Shadowstalkers and Signs of the Flame. We've uh, we played with them for a whole league, a whole season after Catacombs came out, and so we're going to share our thoughts on you know what the war bands were, how we liked them, any tips and tricks that we had, or tactics that we used, and uh, hopefully you'll find that useful. All right, I want to talk about the Canine Shadowstalkers, and I want to we're going to do this as a format where I'm going to I'm going to ask Josh a bunch of questions, and then uh, probably maybe add a, my two cents there at the end. Um, but uh, first thing, Josh, I want to tell me about the like first appearance, like first impressions of the Shadowstalkers. What drew you to that? Right. I think, you know, they previewed them a while back before Catacombs had actually come out. And just the fact that they were like, ooh, elves kind of was super intriguing. Their, their poses were extremely dynamic. They had some really interesting character, you know, some you know, made combination of magic and, and the, the range, you know, the Doomfire Ring versus the crossbows. But just the, yeah, just the shadowy, flowy elements I thought were amazing. I mean, obviously the signs of the flame were really cool as well. But yeah, that's certainly what drew me is how dynamic the poses were and their, their connection to shadow. 
Nice. Yeah. I, I, I've already talked, I think at length about how cool I think they are and how that, um, how in, imagination inspiring they were uh, right. when they were released, especially because they're the first non chaos. And so we're like, Oh, what other non chaos war bands could we get? Turns out none. Uh, but one day <laughs> I'm sure we'll get more. <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what to give me, what's your favorite model in the line? Um, I think my favorite models are probably the shroud queen just because she's kind of got floating up and, and her, and her you know, cloak garment is, you know, is kind of formed from shadow and she's got that blank face plate, which I think is really intriguing and mysterious. Uh, and then I definitely like the, the Doomfire Warlock with the repeater crossbows, just the poses and the attitude that they've got just, you know, sparks the imagination and, and uh, fits in with the characters really well, especially the one I put together where he's kind of leaping away and then firing at the, whatever the target is kind of blending into the shadow. So. Yeah, that's the one that killed Krastos, or yeah. like almost killed Krastos. Almost killed him. Yeah, oh, who, who did all the work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I re- I like the Dark Flame Warlocks with that are doing the magic that are have like holding the balls of magic, especially yeah. the one that's like kind of stalking forward. I think that one that's that's one of my faves. Jumping, getting into the narrative because this is a narrative podcast. Uh, what is what is the narrative around the Shadowstalkers? What are they doing in the eight points, Josh? So the the lore that the, they have in Catacombs is that the Shadowstalkers are bound um, to Shadow by Marathi, and they're essentially, essentially sent there to assassinate, spy, and also collect Varanite, which um, you know a lot of this kind of preluded Broken Realms Marathi and uh, her plans for Varanite for Ascension. And uh, so they're there to do her dirty work in, across the realms, but specifically in the Eight Points, they're searching out Varanite, bringing it back, uh, you know, finding out its secrets, but also, you know, sabotaging, spying, and assassinating certain targets. Um, the lore is interesting because it's, um, it alludes to the fact that sometimes she binds people to shadow as punishment and sends them away to die because, you know, they're have offended her or they know too much. So it's not always a reward. And uh, the lore also speaks to the fact that, you know, the more the shadow stalkers use shadow, shadow ways to travel, they lose a little bit of their life, you know. So eventually they're going to die as they continue to do this work for Marathi, um, you know, whether they want to or not. (laughs) So it's kind of funny that way. Very, very cool. Yeah. And they, despite being like a brand new concept in the Age of Sigmar universe, they've had a huge impact on the lore, like kind of uh, right into the Broken Realms Marathi, uh, like in, in Marathi's Apotheosis. What other, I, mean, I think I gave away like the big one, but what other, where can you, if you wanted to read more about the Shadowstalkers, where would you do that? Yeah, no, the Catacombs book has got some fun uh, lore, you know, background on the models, of course, the warband. But Broken Realms Marathi goes into a little bit more depth in terms of what roles they play um, in the eight points as well as in other places, because they do um, help attack, uh, you know, City of Sigmar and take it over for Marathi so she can control it. They're integrated into the lore as, as one of her. Uh, elite factions that she sends after people or to get things done kind of the the dagger in the dark all right um let's let's jump into the game um and how they play uh because you know we're a narrative podcast but we do get competitive sometimes i would i would say that's fair yeah definitely. um so 
tell me about some of the abilities and uh, let's not go through the whole card, but like, I don't know, pick a, pick, pick a few uh, that were the, the, ba- the strongest or the most thematic and like, how do they work? Sure. So one interesting thing um, is I was kind of going back through the abilities is that two of them are very similar to those that the Cypher Lords have, but you know, surprise, surprise, very similar play styles in a lot of ways. But yeah, so they have uh, the Shadow Shockers have a, a double where they count as flying for their movement phase. And the Cypher Lords also have a double in which they count as flying during their movement phase, but they're limited to a three inch height. So in that respect, um, in Catacombs, it doesn't play a huge role, but on a lot of the other boards, and, and of course now with the new Red Harvest board, having that ability would be amazing because you could fly all the way up to the top of a large structure. Uh, so that, that could be immensely useful uh, in a tactical setting. And then, of course, it helps getting over lava and other things like that, and even at the catacombs boards. The, one of the triples that I didn't use a whole lot um, is called Harness Shadow. And again, it's, it's similar to the, a Cypher Lord's ability where you use it. And until the end of the battle round, you subtract one from the attack's characteristics of enemy models um, within a three inches. You know, Cypher Lord at six inches because it comes from the Thrall Master. Um, it can be immensely helpful if you're kind of bunched up and you're trying to protect other models in that bubble, so to speak. But, you know, in catacombs in particular or the certain the play style, you don't necessarily want to be in large clumps. You kind of got to strike and, and, and then leave. So it, it's situationally useful. Um, you know, it's, it's another triple. I would use inspirational, uh, you know, action to, you know, have another model go, you know, at the same time as my leader or heal. So I tended to use those a bit more. But Still a really cool ability that has some tactical importance, especially when you're surrounded or trying to reduce the number of attacks and hold things out. So can be extremely useful. And of course, I thought I had to mention the quad and snaring darkness because it made such a big impact in this in, a, in the game we just played. Again, most of the time, the quad, the standard quad, where you get to move and attack, is immensely useful. In, in particular, this situation, ensnaring darkness caused the ability damage to all models within three inches, or you can wound yourself, draw shadow blood, cause three damage to your leader, and then cause damage to all visible models within six inches. Again, you know, if, if you're kind of bunched up, this turned out to be extremely important in this particular situation, but just because of their play style, you're not typically trying to put your leader that close to that many enemy models. But again, situationally useful, was extremely useful in our most recent game. And it was kind of cool to finally be able to use that ability. Yeah, oh, very cool. Um, so let's talk about the fighters. Like, what do we have to work with? What are the, what roles do they each fill? And, uh, I don't, and then tell me, tell me like your top, your top three, like fighters with loadouts. Definitely. So the, there are a variety of models to choose from, which is nice. So the, the leader, the only leader you can have is the Shroud Queen. But she's got an excellent profile, you know, good movement. She's got a range four attacks for three attacks at strength four. Or she can get up close for, you know, within a one inch and have four attacks. You know, the damage is decent, you know, two damage minimum, but, you know, four or six on crits. But uh, toughness four. She's the only toughness four model in the group. Um, so that's, you know, and 20 wounds, which is kind of standard for the, the war cry leaders in a lot of cases. Then you've got two champions to pick from. They're both slaughter shades, but you can take one with umbral spears or one with a whip. They're both the same amount of points. They both have strength four, which is awesome. Their damage profile is a little different. One four versus two four. 
the whip has a four inch range, the spears have a two inch range, and the, you know, and the whip has three attacks versus the spears four attacks. So again, very similar, and they both have twelve wounds. So it's nice to have some models that had a little bit more uh, wounds hang around theoretically a little bit longer, although not always in games against you. <laughs> but <laughs> and then the grunts were all eight wounds, so a little bit on the lighter side in terms of uh, the standard Warcry model wound points. And with those, you get two two choices. You get the Dark Flame Warlocks, uh, one with repeater crossbows or one with the Doomfire Ring. And uh, the Warlocks are the ones that have the ability to do the triple to reduce the number of attacks coming in. So you can kind of break them up into different groups to help kind of mitigate damage coming into those particular groups. The repeater crossbows are awesome. Range 8, 4 attacks. They're only strength 3 and their damage profile is only a 1-3. But that ability to be able to kind of stay a little bit further away and just rain down attacks and hoping for some crits, extremely useful. The the Doomfire Warlocks, I know a lot of people don't necessarily like them. And, you know, their number of attacks are a lot lower. They're, this you know, the same profile, toughness 3, strength 3. The, the ring is, you know, 3 to 7, so it's got a minimum range and, and it has less range. It's only 2 strength or, or 2 attacks. You get a little bit more damage, you get minimum two damage, and then a crit of four. So that's the only advantage it really has. Um, you know, it can get up close and do three attacks. But again, this that four attacks, strength three with the repeater crossbows kind of edges it out. I usually took one of each just because of that flexibility. But crossbows are, you know, a little a little better, I think, in that sense. The, the, the other grunts were the shroud blades. And you could take them with curse swords, you know, so they could be, you know, up close and personal at one inch with four attacks at strength three. Or you could take them with the Umbral Spears, which had a two-inch range with three attacks, one less attack, but strength four. And that's what I ran with. I ran with four of those because that strength four is just so important. And that range two is extremely important. You know, with their eight wounds, toughness three, I needed to stay as far away as I could, but cause as much damage as I potentially could. And so in most cases, um, you know, I... I Prefer, you know, the Shroud Kring is obviously one of the top fighters. You know, highly flexible, um, good speed, it's got range and up close, the most wounds. Uh, very important model to have in the force. A couple of my other favorites were the Shroud Blades with the Spears, just because they're the cheapest, you know, they're still at 90 points. But just their flexibility and having three attacks at strength four at range two was extremely helpful for kind of getting around my models, getting around the enemy models, trying to stay safe. And then the Slaughter Shade with the Whip. It's just really cool, dynamic-looking model. That range 4 is a lot of fun. And it still has 3 attacks at strength 4. So it was really nice, again, to kind of get to models that were even on terrain above me. You know, if they're within 3 inches, I could still smack them with the Whip. <laughs> I could knock them off ledges and things like that. Knock them off bridges. Very nice model. A lot of fun to have and play with. Yeah, that 4-inch range is like a new breakpoint as far as like being able to really like outrange like other two inch fighters and really like have a huge threat area. And so I think that's unique on the, for the shadow stalkers. Yeah. Um, so uh, ending, ending with like the narrative, um, tell me about the personal narrative uh, for your war band. Uh, Cause I don't think we've talked about it at least in a while. Right. And then let's talk about like, what other, th- what other, what are our uh, ideas for cool takes you could have on the shadow stalkers? So uh, first tell us your, your take. Yeah. So, my warband is called the Shadowborn, and the narrative I had put together for them was that I didn't really like them to be pawns of Marathi. 
So I, I kind of imagine them to know about Marathi's deception of Kane and that she was pretending to be working for Kane and, and was using his power for her own personal use. Because they, they were discovered by Marathi that they knew this information. So she branded them with the shadow mark and then sent them off to their deaths. So they're in, the, they're in the eight points. And in Catacombs, in the map, there's this place called the Well of Shadows. And it's actually one of the quests that you can do. And so their goal, uh, with my leader's goals, Kaelith Voidsworn, was to take her warband down to the Well of Shadows and you know, travel to the Shadow Realm and make a deal with the Shadow Demons, trade masters, and then get revenge on Marath. So that was kind of her, the person of, personal narrative of this warband. You know, and I think the fun aspect about, okay, well, what kind of narrative opportunities could you take if you didn't want to have it based on Marathi? Maybe they're assassins, but maybe they're working for someone else. I think with the the models and their, their flowing capes, making it look like they're blending into some sort of other region, I think you can kind of take that a variety of different ways. And a few of them that I thought of was, you know, they could be associated with death. You know, maybe they're ethereal like Night Haunt, where they kind of got the flowing capes and it's fading out into you know, Shaish or, you know, into the, to the atmosphere instead. Maybe they kind of come out like the Night Haunt do and just appear and attack things. It's maybe they're working for Nagash. I think you could also kind of associate their, their abilities with the Void. The Void is the, the region between realms. And there are several different publications that talk about entities that live within the Void that would love to get into the realms. And, and perhaps, you know, this, this warband made a deal with one of those entities that has power to travel through the void and appear, you know, much like the shadow stalkers do. Uh, I thought a fun twist might be if you associated with, with Azir, you know, perhaps it's celestial base and they're traveling amongst the stars or with celestial magic instead of, you know, Olgu. And, and based on that, you could also kind of go, well, maybe they're, maybe if it's Lumineth-esque, Maybe their spirits are tied to the spirits of air, you know, in the realm of light and hish. And, uh, and that's how they have their powers to fly and, and then travel amongst things quickly. So you can kind of go lots of fun different ways, I think, you know, if you're sticking with the, the flowy, ethereal travel sort of base theme. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I want to add one more cool idea that a friend, a good friend of mine, a friend of the show already, already uh, did and executed on was that if you like take the idea of like shadow and obfuscation and not being able to see and he kind of flipped it on his head and made his shadow stalkers from the realm of light and painted them in kind of brine, blindingly bright colors. Oh, nice. So they use like light to hide their movements and to move among uh, kind of unseen, like you would have to in, in, in Hish where you wouldn't have access to Shadow. And that's another way to take it into a completely different palette, but have uh, kind of si similarly execute on the on the on those themes. I like that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. All right. Uh, last question, Josh. Any allies or monsters that you find thematically very interesting or have good abilities uh, that you would add to your uh, Shadow Stalker Force? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I didn't end up ever using any allies, uh, just hadn't gotten around to it. But, uh, so I was thinking about that a little bit today and obviously Daughters of Cain, their leaders are, are pretty potent fighters and I've had to fight against them in Daughters of Cain warbands and they would thematically fit very well with the Canite Shadowstalkers since they're all working for Marathi in that sense. Um, uh, you know, fitting more with my narrative could also use the assassin leader from the cities of Sigmar. That would fit perfectly in the warband 
be a great ally. He's got some neat abilities. Movement six, four attacks, fit right in there. And and if you were trying to tell more of a story, I thought having a mage of some sort could be a lot of fun. Um, in terms of other models with synergies, I didn't really think of a whole lot of good choices that, you know, to synergize on a particular ability. But um, just because they're fragile, taking, you know, a Stormcast ally to be the big beat stick, the tank in the middle, it may not be a bad idea. <laughs> so... Definitely. Yeah. And I, I like the, uh, I don't know, the juxtaposition of like having like the heavily armored slow stormcast fighting with kind of the lightly armored and quick and nimble uh, Canaanite elves. Right. Uh, right. So that, that's cool. Um, yeah. I think there's an old, uh, maybe not any or like a battalion in Age of Sigmar that allows you to take stormcast with Daughters of Cain. It was like the Shadow Pact. I think that's uh, battalion right. Or something. Yeah, something like that. And that's that's really cool. Um, okay, um, thank, thanks for sharing all that, Josh. Uh, I guess you want to talk to me about Signs of the Flame. Of course, you know the the master of the local area of Signs of the Flame, as you said, <laughs> tyrannized the, <laughs> the tyranny of the Signs of the Flame and the local leaders. Yeah. <laughs> Tracks us I'll, down. I'll, <laughs> although no longer, no longer. <laughs> true, longer. That's true. So. In terms of the signs of the flame, you know, when did you first see them? What were your first impressions? Um, so I first heard about them in the core rule book when Warcry was uh, released, where <laughs> right. they, they were named and they had a quest and we like knew, oh, like, these are fire guys. Uh, but we didn't see models for them like for like another year. Year and a half uh, before or we actually yeah. saw them get get teased and released as part of the catacombs release. Right. And I I loved them. They were super cool looking. Uh, I've been trying to like fall in love with chaos for a long time. And they are the ones that actually did it. Um, they have like they have a really cool aesthetic. They have like great design elements, which maybe I'll talk about later. And um, yeah, they were just a big, beefy, crazy chaos dudes that I was uh, that I was immediately drawn to. I agree. The the variety of models are really interesting. The, I, I love the. Uh... The armor, you know, the kind of down-to-earth sort of feel, but all the flames and everywhere, you know, you could definitely tell, oh, yeah, that this is their focus. This is what they're about. And, uh, you know, based on the aesthetics and the models, you know, what are your favorite models from the line? Uh, my favorite model is definitely the Blazing Lord because uh, he has this cool, and it's like, it's interesting. It doesn't really translate to other models in the Warband, but he has a specific samurai aesthetic that kind of, works within the context of that character like he's got a like a long katana length sword uh that is wavy which might not be which is maybe more kung fu than it's like a chris sword or something yeah yeah uh you know it's totally okay to mix and match design elements but he's got that really long sword he's got like a black kind of a a a fiery back banner or icon he's got like a demon mask he has that kind of like segmented leather armor that you see uh, on on at least maybe traditional drawings of samurai with like the big shoulder pads. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a hella dope uh, as a leader for the science war band. So that's definitely my favorite. Yeah. He's got a lot of presence. (laughs) So he's he's a really cool model. I agree. You know, so obviously these models have tons of flame on them. You know, what is it that Mm -hmm. drives them? What are the, what is their goal? So, uh, yeah, some some war bands just want to watch the world burn, uh, <laughs> and that that sums them up. They they are they worship chaos in the the aspect of the ever raging flame, 
that um, that prophesizes that the world will be consumed in fire. So they're they about bringing apart that prophecy. I think Archon is the ever-aging flame incarnate. They just want to, you know, use like their mystical inferno-based magics to, you know, dominate and convert and then eventually the end game is to burn it all down uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and a lot of their quests and catacombs are related to that you know so a lot of, a lot of fun there yeah just light, <laughs> light it light on fire get big machine that lights things on fire or tame, let loose fireworks. flaming elemental beast yeah for sure you know if people wanted to get a little bit more background on these models how might they discover a little bit more about their lore um, so they're, they're, they're talked about in the core book. They're talked about in the catacombs book, uh, longer length. There's actually a war cry tie in novel called catacombs that features the science of flame. I didn't read it though. So I don't know. Maybe yeah, check it out. I guess. Yeah. Science, you, did you read that book, Josh? I did. Yeah. It's actually quite good. Um, it's okay. It's got a fun story that kind of it, it weaves all the way through and uh, it introduces lots of different war bands kind of popping in and the signs of the flame are one of them and they're definitely going around torching people and stuff like that they're all it's it's a really interesting read a lot of fun um the original war cry book uh, novel you know is a, a bunch of short stories where this one is a is a actual you know full length story ties in a lot of different war bands and and places in the a points so kind of lends a little the author's view on these different areas which is so definitely fun Okay, we'll check it out. Yeah. So, you know, kind of tying into their lore and their background, you know, what, what kind of abilities do they have or how does it, you know, how do the abilities present the army and its play style? So they have some, but they have some like a pretty like uh, average, I would say abilities, you know, not, not terrible, not super great. They have like a ranged firebomb one. They have like a plus additional strength, very situational one. Um, they have like an AOE plus one attack the leader can do that. That one's pretty common. I think their coolest, the best and maybe most thematic ability is engulf in flames. Or I think that's what it's called. I actually don't have the card in front of me, but it's, um, it's only the inferno priest can do it. So not even like kind of your top model or your lieutenants, the inferno priest specifically. Mm -hmm. And it's within, I believe it's a three inch range. So it's very close. And it's pretty much just light, light the MFR on fire. Um, so they, you pick a model within three, and then you roll six dice. Yeah. And then for every two up, you deal damage to that model you picked equal to half the ability. Um, so yeah. it's either one, two, or three based on the ability. And so you really want to do it with a five or a six uh, quad, um, because then you're rolling six dice, and every two up, you do three damage. And... For any sixes, you roll again indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, so you're doing like an like uh, like an expected on you know a quad five or quad six, like 18 damage to a model in front of you, which is very strong, which is going to be like a better expected value than a quad in a lot of, in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Extremely nasty. So that, and and it's just like burning somebody up, uh, which is what you would expect, and you can it actually has that additional burning mechanic. Of course, you can really flub the roll and roll a bunch of ones, and that happens too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, which, I, yeah. You definitely know, I, tried to, I tried to kill a vampire lord that way, and I yeah. was like, "All right, kill it with fire." Here we go. See you later. And I rolled like three <laughs> ones out of six dice, and I was like, "No." Yeah, no. I think you used it once against me, and it cost a lot more than that. So <laughs> it was very effective. <laughs> hey, Josh, I'll admit, I think I cheated and assumed it had like an eight-inch range. Uh, so that one's on me. That was definitely a big cheaty moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely further than three inches. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, you know, talking about the, the Fire Priest, you know, or the Inferno Priest, rather, what, what are the other models in the Warband? What are they, what are they like? Sure. And what are your favorites, your top fighters? Yeah, like all of the, like, kind of Warbands designed for Warcry, there's a great, like, kind of hierarchy built into the miniatures that I love, which tells a great story of, like, kind of progressing down the path. Uh, so I'll do that here. So first you have the Initiates, who are your kind of, your brand new recruits, not very tough not very strong. Um, they don't have shoes. That's how you know it's them. They're on the smallest bases. They're like your kind of jabroni models. You know, they're good. They're good for capturing objectives, running out. They're cheap. Um, and actually funny, the shoe thing is what I, how I tell all my opponents how to tell how, what the toughness of my warband. The rule is if you don't have shoes, your toughness three. If you have shoes, your toughness four. Works across the warband. Yeah. More thematically, you can look at their their cloaks um, if they have the scaled cloaks from killing the um, the fiery salamander creatures. That makes them toughness four because that like I think it means they're tougher and they're able to kill the beast. Uh, but usually people can pick out the shoes quicker and the bear feet quicker. Yep. So those yep. are the initiatives. Next level up uh, means you've actually killed one of these great beasts of fire. I think maybe eaten their hearts or given the hearts to the inferno priest. Uh, but you these these are all wearing. Um, these scaly cloaks from these like fiery beasts from Akshi. And I don't know if I mentioned, but the warband originally hails from the realm of fire. That's why they have the fire theme so strong to yep. them. Um, so they kill these fiery lizards and they wear the cloaks. Those are the fireborn. Uh, those are pretty, those are like kind of mid tier fighter, 10 wounds. They got a decent amount of attacks, like kind of decent strength. They're very middle of the road fighter. Uh, like above average fighter. Uh, I like them a lot. They're usually deceptive in like kind of the hurt they can put out. Then you take up the next step and then you have all like kind of the lieutenants for the group. So you have the brazen champion who's probably like pound for pound the, one of the best fighters. He's got two inch range, strength five and a three six damage profile, which is like such a strong break point, especially if you're giving him plus one attack that he can like one yeah. shot most small and medium fighters. At that yeah. two inch range, oh, he just pumps out the damage because uh, he's usually rolling like three ups. So yeah, the, the Brazen Champion, uh, Raxos in my warband, he's getting promoted so strong. The Inferno Priest I like because it you know, is more of a thematic element, like the spiritual leader has the only like ranged attack in the warband, but still pretty good fighter, has a two-inch reach with the staff, two-four damage, mm -hmm. uh, strength four. So also like a pretty, pretty can go well toe-to-toe, -to -toe, even though like the model looks like a you know, a, like a kind of a, a, a thin older woman, um, mm -hmm. depending on the paint job. Uh, but she still like really scraps up with the best. And then probably, I don't know, the fan favorite model is the Immolator, who's just a person on fire yeah. who punches things to death. Uh, also a very <laughs> cool model. I really like a lot. And then at the, at the top of the group is the Blazing Lord, uh, who I've already talked at length about. Yeah. And uh, besides the Blazing Load, my favorite two fighters are the Inferno Priest and the Brazen Champion, uh, yeah. for reasons I just mentioned. Right. Yeah. Great models. And as you said, very effective. Very effective. So we talked a little bit about the, the Warband's motivations, but you know, what was your personal narrative for this group? Yeah, so my warband is kind of a, a, a religious order that um, it kind of emerged out of the age of chaos during the in the mortal realms, um, kind of as a like kind of natural response to the hell on earth that was the age of chaos. And they are they like worship kind of like a cleansing fire. That's how they tell like they're there. They think of themselves as the good guys. And so they're kind of like think of themselves as the saviors of the realms. 
and they work in a large kind of like multicultural order. Like, it, you know, it goes across different, multi, you know, different cultures and spreads out and like embeds itself into different communities. Um, and this is like a specific like militant kind of wing, like, you know, going on like a pilgrimage in the eight points and trying to like do great works for their, for their, for their God. Um, and so that's what they're, that's what they're doing here, but it's part of like a larger, um, like collection and network of, of, of fire-based faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also are closely aligned with a larger kind of military, which is, uh, focused on, which is like a slaves to darkness army and they're much more pragmatic, but they're not really a part of the war band specifically. Um, yeah, so yeah that's, that's their narrative. And and currently, uh, they're having a crisis of leadership at the moment. <laughs> Uh, but narratively, you also modeled some other models in for the for the war band that are like in transition, right? You know, they're transitioning into chaos marauders, more so than you know from the cult sort of thing. So you kind of had this really neat flowing narrative in terms of how they become more part of the Slaves of Darkness army, which I thought was amazing. So that's great. Yeah, I've, I've converted it up a few. I, I bought uh, Cadgra's Ravagers from Age of, from uh, Warhammer Underworlds and converted them up to be like kind of signs of the flame, uh, I don't know, graduates. Um, so they've become like more militarized, I guess, and less like kind of like uh, just scrapping it out. So they've like joined like official regiments and like joined Archon's Holy Crusade. Uh, but I just gave them the like, kind of bits and pieces to still call back to their Scion's heritage. Um, mm-hmm. So I added fiery bits. I did a bunch of head swaps to bring them more in line with like, um, Kadgra is like an old blazing lord, and now she leads a regiment of uh, chaos warriors. And you know, and I like uh, you know, uh, they use the immolator head on one of the kind of two-handed uh, two two weapon guide. And so, yeah, there's like there's going to be an attachment to like a larger chaos uh, <laughs> uh, slaves to darkness force. I don't know if I'm I, if I have it in me to convert an entire slaves to darkness model, <laughs> like trying to source fiery bits for that whole thing. Right, right. Uh, but uh, you know, that's kind of where where it's at right now. Yeah, no, no, it's a great idea. Yeah, and so you know, kind of based on your narrative, I know when we were first putting these war bands together, we threw around a lot of different ideas. And what are the other narrative modeling opportunities that you can think of for for this particular war band? Yeah, so with the chaos war bands, I always like to do a fun exercise. Like, how do they fall to each of the gods, mm-hmm. uh, given where they are now? Uh, so I'll quickly go through my my guts. Uh, my gut reactions. Uh, so Zinch is easy because Zinch has fire themes to it. So they could just get more into magical flame. Maybe you paint them with like green flames uh, to be in more of that changing flame that Zinch is uh, known for. You add like a Zinch hero model like the Magister or Gaunt Summoner uh, to the warband. And then they just kind of fall that way into the flames of Zinch. And then you could paint up like brimstones and stuff to like really uh, closely align to that warband. Mm-hmm. Uh, corn is super easy uh you know just fire and rage and they just get more and more angry and more and more martial um i don't i think that i don't i don't know if there's anything cool you have to do there or like i don't have an interesting hook into corn with that war band besides <laughs> uh yeah they just get like they're from action and they get super mad and, and fire bursts out of them um uh Slanesh, i have like Oh man, use lots of immolators. Like some, they get they get so obsessed. They get more obsessed with lighting themselves on fire than they do like lighting anybody else on fire. Like that's the part they like is like becoming on fire. And so you're running like three or four immolators only in your warband. Uh, maybe that would be really cool. <laughs> or I don't I don't know if it goes any deeper than that. Um, but I don't know that that's an idea. 
And then Nurgle, Nurgle's for some reason it was the hardest uh, to figure out how to follow Nurgle. I the the stretch I thought of is um, so they're a people like afflicted by a disease, and they are trying to cauterize the disease from their bodies to heal mm-hmm. it or to like uh, keep the infection from spreading. Uh, but it's not working. Um, so you have like a bunch of like burned people that are like still like blessed by Nurgle, and they they're trying to burn out the disease, but they can't. <laughs> they're not able to. Because uh, Nurgle, you know, his his talons are in them too deep, and that would be kind of a tragic way. Because like, you sometimes you don't choose the chaos gods; the chaos gods choose you, <laughs> right? Uh, right. And uh, that would be that would be the case with that warband, right? I don't yeah. have no idea how to model it, but uh, yeah, that'd be, that's my idea. What about you, Josh? You got any, you got any cool hot takes? Yeah, no, I so like those be- ideas a lot. You know, I, I, like you said, I think Zinch is it's super easy. You know, to change flames and incorporating the right models and you know, whatever else. So. You know, they do have a nice tribal feel, you know, with their you know, uh, scaled cloaks and, and the fire. So yeah. I think you could kind of take it a couple of different ways, Dark Oath sort of, you know, things. But I think the what you've listed here is definitely good examples of that. I can't think of a, a really good one off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, obviously uh, you put the warband together and had in, in mind some allies to, to use, but what allies or monsters do you think work well with this warband? Well, I just love the Orgroid uh, Myrmidon. Uh, that's one of my favorite models to come out with Wargroid. Definitely added uh, one to my science warband. So tough. You would have never gotten to Krastos if I had run him in our thousand point game. Oh yeah. Uh, he's just too, too much of a beast. He would have yeah. stood on one of those bridges and like tanked a half warband. <laughs> uh, so I love that model. He's got these nice tattoos that I turned into flaming tattoos to tie him to my warband, doing that that splash of orange. Other other cool allies. I think the Mutileth Vortex Beast is a cool model. It has like that flame portal that could be tied in. And yeah, th- those are maybe my two big ones. I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think fits for Yeah, no, I think those those fit the best in terms of if you're going thematically. I mean, the Mimardon is a great warrior. His aesthetic is, is similar in style to a lot of the Signs of the Flame, so it fit in really well, you know, especially the way you painted it. And he, he is a beast. He does work, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I think the uh, only other really possibly, you can't really take, well, maybe you could take a leader flamer as an ally, that might be kind of fun if you took a oh one of those. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Exalted I might flamer. just like, do that <laughs> off to the side. Yeah, an exalted, just like, can you just buy one of those? Yeah, um, that might be a fun twist. You know, that definitely they would be tied to Zinch, but you know, <laughs> add to the element. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, my warband is Chaos Undivided, so they right. could work with any of the the demons. Good point. No, definitely. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot of fun playing against them and seeing how the warband has evolved, and seeing how they play out. Yeah, they've been they've been fun to play together, definitely. And this, so that concludes our section on the warbands. We do have a lot of really great listener questions this evening. We have a whole bunch that are related to Red Harvest, but uh, since my Red Harvest box has not arrived yet and I haven't had a chance to read through it, we're going to hold on to those until the next time so that we can both. Uh, effectively answer those questions. However, we will tackle these that we have available to us. Uh, the first couple from Darth Alec are, will catacombs be reboxed into a terrain box? And what is your opinion on that? No. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, you know, I think the they've got the rules, you know, in the book available, and that's 
really all they're probably going to do. They've got the additional boards you can buy separately. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to rebox that into a terrain box. Yeah. It just, it feels like a supplement rather than a, well, I mean, I think they learned a lot with every like new, I guess, supplement they come out with Warcry. Yeah. Um, but they don't necessarily need to go back to catacombs to, to like continue the game forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm really long- curious to play, um, all the, like the new red harvest scenarios, because there's our, I hear like different and kind of like the original, uh, war cry, the games were like more like three turns and then catacombs were like five terms. And now it seems like they're kind of settling on four turn games. Yeah. Um, so it seems like they're narrowing in on an experience, but I'm really, I'm really curious. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah, get, if you, if you like any of the catacomb stuff, like try to find a box. Because I don't think those will, any of that stuff in there will be reprinted. Um, yeah, I agree. I and mean, you know, and there are a lot of the sources for you know old hero quests has got doors and things like that. So I mean, if you just get a hold of the book and the rules, then uh, you know you can you can use that on any sort of boards and any sort of terrain mm-hmm. elements to make that work. Darth Alex's next question was: Do you feel the Canites Shadowstalkers were designed for Warcry? It's been all chaos all the time outside those. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, and you know, obviously they they probably are aware of the AOS storyline and how they wanted that all to tie in. So it's definitely, you know, did they have the storyline that decided, oh, we should include these models in Warcry as a tie-in, or did they have these models ideas and they're like, oh, we should include this in the story for AOS? You know, who knows which way it went? But I definitely think, you know, since it's the only warband outside of Chaos that is specifically designed for Warcry, I definitely think that was intentional. Definitely generated a whole lot of interest for that that box set. Yeah, I think I think we'll we'll, we'll certainly see non chaos warbands again. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I am surprised they went back to like they tried one non chaos warband and they w- immediately went back to all chaos again. But I think I think it'll change again in the future. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. All right, uh, Chrisling has a series of questions here. Do you think a new core book which consolidates the Warcry supplements, Tome of Champions, Monsters and Mercenaries, Grand Alliance books, is necessary in order to keep the game accessible for players? No. I think those are all like supplements that add on to the experience, but they don't necessarily add, like they're not necessary for new players to play with. Um, Especially Monsters and Mercenaries is I think almost completely obsolete except for it gives you cool scenarios to play, mm-hmm. but all those rules have been co-opted or like all of the unit entries are in the grand Alliance books. Um, yep. yeah, 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 I agree with that point. The monsters and mercenary again, if you're, if you're wanting some specific faded quests and things like that, yeah, definitely worth getting. But again, all the, all the monster ally information is in the grand Alliance book. So really you just need the core book and the grand Alliance book for whatever Alliance faction you want to play. And I think it's, it's interesting that the new Red Harvest rulebook has the core rules and then some, some rules for Red Harvest, but doesn't necessarily include uh, match play rules is what I've heard. So if you want match play rules, you have to have the original core rulebook or perhaps the you know, Tome of Champions 2020 has some, some updated match play yeah. rules. So you know, again, I think you know, if you want to play the game and have narrative fun, you just need the core rules. You need the Grand Alliance books, and everything else is just gravy. And when I see people asking about which books to get, I'll typically say, you know, get your Grand Alliance book, the core rule book, and I highly recommend Tome of Champions 2020 just because it has the unique Soroth Core campaign and the champion mode gameplay. 
and the wild fighter rules, you know, which are all yep. really helpful for setting up solo games, unique challenge battles, dreading, generating more detail and depth to your warbands and your games with the champion mode. A lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I consider it more like you need to buy all these books to play. It's just like, just buy like the first book you need to play and just like have fun with it. And there's like more than enough to get like a lot out of the game at that point. Yeah. And then you can add more things to your experience as you go. Like yeah. usually it'll be like, you know, if you like a war band that's in one of the, whatever the current starter set is, go that way. Cause it'll give you terrain. It'll give you books. It'll give you tokens. It'll give you two war bands. That's like such a good value. And it gives you everything you need to play. You don't need to buy anything else. But then if you want to buy anything, more things, then you can supplement. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't think the, they, it, the book would be too large to have everything in one place like that. Yeah, so, you know, especially I think kind of touching on this, I think the Toma champions this year, it'd be interesting to see what they do, whether they consolidate the war bands that have been in the white dwarves, you know, how are they doing that? Are they, are they capturing that differently? It'll be, it'll be an interesting way to see if that generates a, a pattern for us, I suppose. Our next person, we have Kugelfang52, uh, has three questions. If you had to create the meanest min-max list ever, what would it be? Wow. I don't know. Josh, that's a question for you. <laughs> I don't know what the meanest min-max list ever would be. Yeah, it's not really our wheelhouse, but I, what I've heard um, is you want like as many bot like two beef beefcakes and then as many bodies as you can fit in um so skaven are really good good at that because they have like 35 point giant rats yeah and then you could like take two storm vermin um i heard ogres are really good at that too Mm -hmm. i think i would maybe i'd still go with gets and just take like a ton of netters which are 45 point units and then like two squig hoppers with a squig hopper boss because that 10 inch movement is so strong and they do. They have like strength five and like a bunch of attacks. Mm-hmm. And the the you know the gloom spike quad is just super broken. Uh, <laughs> where you add where you add like the value of the quad to the damage points of your hits and critical hits. So you can do plus. You can you know you can be at like a let's say if you're at a four a two four damage profile. If you have a quad six, you're at a uh, you know a six ten damage profile for your five attacks, which is uh, bonkers. On top of rampage, on top of the really So I think that one's. I I still think that's really list is really good, and that's kind of why I don't play uh, gets for now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel it's like a horror. I, or I, I do I like I purposely read the rule wrong uh, when I'm playing locally. <laughs> I think I have played against Splintered Fang that ran out a bunch of snake swarms, and that was tough. <laughs> Um, you know, and you yeah. can do something similar with Stormcast with a lot of the uh, Aether Wings or, or Griffounds. Yeah. So those are definitely harder lists to play against or, or even Iron Golems with like two Ogres. That can be quite mm-hmm. tough. So <laughs> I think when you yeah. stack up on those uh, super beefy, you know, good range, good strength and toughness, lots of wounds, it can get a little challenging and still swarm with numbers. All right. If you could make any warband you wanted and its ability on the tabletop didn't matter, what would it be? What is it like? Make a warband from scratch? Yeah. Or yeah like just uh, what warband, warband, I guess, that we don't have might you want to see? Uh, I think, I, I don't know. Have we gotten this question before? I think I've said Cities of Sigmar. I want like the Dawnbringer Crusade warband that's like, that's got like a dwarf and an elf and a witch hunter and maybe like a storm cast in it. 
and they're just, you know, kind of out scrapping it up, lost in the A points. Yeah, that'd be cool. I agree. How about yeah. you, Josh? Hmm. I'm trying to think here. I think I'm going to go into, I think Chaos Dwarves. I would love to see them, you know, because we've got lots of, you know, individual models and some hints for playing in terrain areas that would be perfect. And eventually, yeah. I'm sure they're going to come. But I would love to see some uh, Chaos Chaos Dwarves. All right. And then his last question. If GW were to make a Chaos Warband based on the attributes of your fellow co-host, <laughs> what would it be? How would it play? Strengths, weaknesses, themes. <laughs> well, that one, that would have to take yeah. some thought. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We, this is going to be the last episode of Dogs of War Cry um, <laughs> coming up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, wow. Yeah, I don't. I don't know uh, what that would be like. I mean, I think. I think you play signs of the flame quite well with its variety its theme you use them effectively i kind of associate it with you and chaos because that's your chaos warband so i'm trying to yeah. think of a new chaos warband based on your your attributes. here's the thing i there's no there's no chaos warband that is like two boring dads um <laughs> <laughs> and so like i like i don't yeah i yeah i don't know the chaos warband that like has like a, a a niche hobby and then podcasts about it like that one <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It'd probably be uh, definitely, definitely Zinch. Definitely Zinch. Yeah, yeah, Zinch for sure. I'd probably lean, definitely into that, right? <laughs> We're weaving the stories. We're making stuff out of nothing. <laughs> That's a fun question. Um, all right. So, our, our last listener question is Do you think Warcry will receive reinforcement add on sets for the main warbands in the same way Necromunda has? If so, what would you like to see added to those warbands? Uh, no, I don't think this will happen. I think we already have more warbands than Necromunda has, um, and I like. I'd rather receive like more warbands than like kind of like who are the the you know the super iron golems like the double double ogre. Um, I, I think those, it could be cool, and I'd get on board and I'd get hype with it. But I prefer they give us like more cool warbands and leave the warbands as they are. I don't know if they need expanding upon in a model range. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, um, that like you can't like do yourself by adding like different elements of like uh, allies and monsters um, that are like more generic, and then you can customize for your warband. But what do you what do you think, Josh? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of like houses and, and things like that, they're adding for Necromunda individual mercenaries and things like that. I think we get that get that benefit already because we can take monsters and, and allies and our forces. And I think with every new model release, you know, if they release a new box set, it usually has some unique character models. Eventually those models, we get rules of Warcry, you know, and hopefully eventually for a lot of the... Uh, Underworlds warbands, we get we'll get rules for Warcry, and I think that's how they'll give us additional models to use with our particular warbands. Is introducing these new models down the road or new armies, and then putting out rules for those so that we'll always have some evolving options. And I think that's a great way to do it. All right, well that ties up our episode for today. Thank you everyone for your questions and for listening. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, if you wanna. 
hang with us. We are in the the Discord in, at themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Uh, we're in the war, the war Cry room most often. Uh, we will also, if we remember, post show notes in that room. We'll have a thread. We'll show off our pictures of the things we've worked on and painted and some pictures of the game we played, that challenge battle. I know we got some good action shots from that. It, it might be a little disorganized, but we're going to try it out, see if it's good. Uh, sometimes we hobby hang in there, uh, but we give you no notice about it. So <laughs> maybe you'll catch <laughs> us in there. Uh, also, if you want to like throw some change our way, there's a Mortal Realms Patreon, uh, which is uh, which is cool. Uh, you want to hang out and do something there. I don't think we do anything for War- Dogs of Warcry specifically, but uh, you know we appreciate it. Um, otherwise, Josh tweets out of the Dogs of Warcry Twitter uh, at Dogs of Warcry. And if you want to send us an email... You'll be the first person to send us an email at dogs of Warcry. We've gotten emails. Is that true? We have no, gotten, we've gotten emails. Shows <laughs> what I know. <laughs> You'll be the first person this quarter to send us an email. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, that's that's it. That's all I got, Josh. Any, any parting words from you? Nope, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to Midwest, I'm Ghost Bruce, this is Narrative, this is a podcast you'll ever turn right. I'll be in the fall, we gave so far, thanks to Tony Bolo, and this one's never gonna go, no, to the Dogs of Warcry.